With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 6, Episode 41, The New Neighbor Boy, where Bob filled you in on his investigation into not-his-real-name Randy. Now known as Chad. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, our first question comes from Denise. After listening to the episode about Chad, I wondered about the ethics of the pawn shop. Aren't they supposed to hold items for two or three days to make sure nothing was stolen? And wouldn't they question the same guy coming to them multiple times a day, several days in a row? Do we know if Chad went to the same pawn shop each time? So Chad went to the same pawn shop on repeated occasions, but there were several different pawn shops, if that makes sense. So it would like for a period of time, he would go back to the easy pawn over and over and over again. And then We'd see him going to a different pawn shop, and he'd go there over and over and over again. As far as their ethics, that's all governed by law as far as how long they need to keep items and things like that. What Basically, from my understanding, their requirement is to make sure that they document who brought each item in. And they did that in Chad's case. That's why we have this huge list of all the items that he's been pawning, because every time he comes in, I, I believe, I know in Michigan, there's a, they have to actually take a, a thumbprint when you, when you pawn something. Not only do you have to give them your driver's license with your name and your address, uh, your date of birth, but then also you have to give a thumbprint as well so that if any of the items that are in the database come up missing, they know exactly where they got them from. I don't know how long they're required to keep each item at the pawn shop, though. Lauren asks, is there a limit to what you can sell to a pawn shop on a given day? I, I don't think so. I mean, that's all up to the pawn shop owners on what they want to buy. And, and there's two different things you can do at the well, other than purchasing items at a pawn shop. But you can either pawn things or you can sell things. And Chad did a little bit of both uh, in, in these records where some days, so to pawn it means you agree, it's basically a loan and the item that you give them is collateral. So say you have a TV 
and you want to borrow $100, and they'll say, okay, well, I'll give you 100 bucks for that TV. We'll hang on to it. And then you have a set period of time where you could go back and then pay that money back along with interest, which I believe is pretty steep, uh, to get your item back. And then after a certain period of time, the pawn shop just, just retains ownership of the item and then they resell it. Then you can also just go into the pawn shop and just sell things to them, you know, without pawning it, without a loan, without any intention of coming back to get it, uh, just to sell an item to them for them to resale at the store. But as far as how many items you can sell in a single day, I don't believe there's any limit to that at all. Next, she asks, do pawn shops have a way to see what else was pawned at other shops? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to it. Uh, my initial thought would be no, but I think it's you know, with this Leeds online database, maybe the pawn shops themselves have access to that as well. I'm not sure. That'd be a good one to... Uh, look into a little bit further. Maybe someone listening knows the answer to that and can let us know before next week. Leah asks, are there any serial numbers of any of the electronics that were stolen from the Melgar house? And do pawn shops report or document serial numbers in their personal records or the database? I think so. I didn't see... Some items had serial numbers on them in the Leeds database printout that we have. And and by the way, I'm going to get that out to everyone. I mean, essentially, I read the whole thing. The reason it hasn't gone out yet is because literally every single entry has his full name, his date of birth, his address, his phone number. So I have to redact all of that stuff. There's there's like 150 redactions that have to be made. Uh, but as far as serial numbers, I, I'm assuming they don't always get them because in this database, in this printout, there's serial numbers for some items and not for others. And so, yeah, when they do have the serial numbers, they do report and document them. And actually, we had, and now I'm trying to remember, that might have been through Leeds. Uh, we had a listener who worked for GameStop that was able to check in some sort of database, which may have been Leeds, to run the serial numbers from Liz's Xbox to see if it had been sold at any GameStop. So I think this stuff is all interconnected in one way or another. But just like anything else, the power in it only comes in the on the input side meaning if the people working at the pawn shop that take the deal don't put the right information into the system, then it's useless. Uh, but if they do do their job and put everything that's supposed to be in there, like serial numbers and all that, then it becomes a very powerful tool. Stephanie asks, is it possible that Chad was fencing items for Cineads crew? I mean, anything's possible. I don't I have no, I have no evidence whatsoever to support that. I mean, we have Cinead, for sure, that was involved in the home invasion. We know the types of items they stole. We have Chad, who is is repeatedly pawning very similar items. But, you know, Houston's a big city. So, I mean, they both do have some connection to the Melgars in the fact that Chad lived down the road and was standing outside of the um, the crime scene that night and acting strangely. And then, of course, we have the Cinead connection through Claudia, the girlfriend of Renner John, uh, and also the very similar MOs in her case. So there's a bit of a connection there, but I mean, that's a stretch. So I, it's, it's best I could say is that's possible. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a crazy theory, but that's all it is. It's not even, it's an, it's a hypothesis. Lori has a few questions. Has Chad ever been caught with any other female offenders? Does he commit his crimes alone or with others? Has he ever been convicted of a violent crime? If the answer is no to these questions, we'd really be going away from what we've already deduced after analyzing the scene. We believe there was more than one person. We believe there was a woman who was there and probably wielded a knife. This was a very violent struggle. So a couple things here. The first thing I want to address is the second half of that question where 
We said that if you know we're going the wrong direction, if Chad didn't commit crimes with a woman, didn't commit violent crimes, and, and everything that sort of fits our profile of what we think happened, and that may be true, but we have to realize is our profile and our analysis of the crime scene is still theoretical at this point, meaning it could be wrong. I mean, just because that's what I think happened, and I believe that's what the evidence indicates happened, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what happened. You know, I, I think it's a pretty solid assessment of the crime scene, but we have to keep in mind that until we have evidence supporting that theory, it's just a theory. As far as Chad goes, he does have a domestic dispute on his record. Um, I don't know that he has a record of working with uh, a group or with a female. You know, I haven't, I'm still waiting on the open records request from Harris County that sounded like they were going to get it to me right away and they still haven't on the Oscar Garcia case. So it would be the same thing with Chad's case, waiting to get all of that information. And I don't necessarily think that it's going to be relevant other than to ask, answer those questions. Uh, but again, that still just leaves us firmly in the category of hypothesis. Last she asked, do we have access to the TV footage turned over to the police? What TV footage is she talking about? I'm pretty sure she's talking about the news crew footage from the night of the murder. Oh, right. Uh, I don't. The, the police never asked for it. Much like a lot of things in this case, they, as far as the record shows, they don't have any access to that footage. And yeah, the raw footage would be very powerful piece of information to have because you could just see everyone that's that's walking around the crime scene that night. But um, like I said, they, they didn't even go so far as to document the names of the reporters that identified Chad outside the house. So I, I seriously doubt they went to the trouble of getting any of the footage. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Jessica says, does the Leeds report show where items were pawned? Also, were any phones stolen from the Melgars? She says, I know searching the Xbox serial number didn't turn up anything, but we could try with phone serial numbers. Well, like I said earlier, uh, the, the Leeds database does show where the items were pawned. As far as phones, no, the Melgar's phones were not stolen, so that's, that's irrelevant. And so the serial numbers aren't relevant either. Gemma says, Bob mentioned it was impossible to see the Melgar property from Chad's property. I was wondering how audible the crime scene was then. Presuming he was, quote, having a nose at it, so needed something to trigger his spidey sense. If neighbors on his street weren't awoken, perhaps he wasn't involved. Yet knew people that were that tipped him off. Long shot, but wondered who Chad's known associates were. Well, actually, since we recorded that episode, I did get a little bit more information from one of the neighbors of the Melgars, and I think I know how Chad ended up down there. Uh, and, and to be honest, the more I look at it, I, other than, 
I mean, his strange behavior and the fact that he doesn't reach out to the police, certainly in, in his history of crime and the items he pawns, puts him into the category of person of interest. But Chad's mother was actually at one of the neighbor's houses when the Melgars arrived and found Jim and found Sandy and all that happened. She was sitting right there on the bed of a truck with one of the neighbors. So that could explain why Chad was down. It probably does explain, I would say, why Chad was down there. Because his mom was down there, and she knew what was going on, and he might have went down to see what was going on. So a lot of that kind of becomes irrelevant, and it was uh, nice of the neighbor to reach out and let me know about that. And, and the neighbor also knew Chad and the family. And, um, I, well, I guess I'll just say what she told me. Her exact words were, it wouldn't surprise me at all for someone to think Chad was acting strangely because Chad always acted strangely. So we've got the neighbor, Chad's mom, and Chad at the crime scene. Lauren wants to know, besides the press even, who might have been there, like a bystander, who could have seen the same behavior that Chad was displaying and could elaborate more on Chad's behavior? I mean, pretty much everybody from the neighborhood was there. Uh, the Melgar's family were there. And then um, Jim's other brother, Irwin, his family was there as well. Uh, Liz's cousin, Jennifer, was there. And she actually reported a tip. I, if I remember correctly, it wasn't actually in regard to Chad, but it was in regards to two black males that were in a car in the area at the crime scene that night. Uh, and she actually spoke with Carazal, or at least called Carazal, or tried to. I, I know that because we have emails from Liz to Carazal saying, Hey, are you going to call my cousin back? She's been trying to get a hold of you to give you information, and he hadn't called her back. So, I mean, there was a, there was a bunch of people at the crime scene that night. Stacy says, have you been in touch with Chad? No, I have not been in touch with Chad. David says, I can't remember if you covered this in the episode, but did Chad have a relationship with the Melgars? He says, I know they were neighbors and were probably acquainted, but I'm curious if they knew each other beyond just pleasantries. I don't think they even knew each other as acquaintances. As I said in the episode, they're, we've talked about him as a neighbor, and he's kind of the new neighbor boy, right? But he wasn't really a neighbor. He lived on a different street that wasn't connected to the Melgars. So as I, I tried to describe in the episode, but the Melgar street goes down, it ends in a cul-de-sac, and then there's a, like a courtyard and a walkway that extends north and south there. And then to the east, there's another cul-de-sac and another road that extends the other way, and Chad lived way down that street. I mean, so they, they weren't, I wouldn't say they were even in the same neighborhood. It, the way the neighborhood, because we've been there, Mike, and it's it's kind of like on, on the one side of the walkway feels like one neighborhood and the other side feels like a completely different neighborhood. Yeah, and isn't it kind of a grid set up like that where all of the streets in that neighborhood are, are set up like that, where they have the walk paths in between them? Yeah, it's just the one walk path that, so exactly like you said. So I, well, there's the map up there. You can see it. For you video people, I'm pointing to Mike at a map that neither you nor the audio people can see. But if you look at the neighborhood on a map, right down the middle of it is this long walking trail that extends all the way north to south in the whole neighborhood. And then all the streets going up and down east to west do exactly what Kelsey Meadows Court does, which is they come in from the west. They have a cul-de-sac at the end. On the other side of the walkway is an, is another cul-de-sac and another street. So, yeah, it's gridded off that, that everything on the east side or the northeast side of the walk path is in a very separate area than the southwest side of the walk path. Here's an interesting thought from listener Lou. Did it ever occur to anyone that the neighbor Chad is hustling crime scenes? Probably has a Scanner Pro app on his phone, waits for the call that fits his desired profile, shows up with a camera and bag and her backpack and has a fake press credential, 
roams the crime scenes and picks out small things to pawn. The reporters know a Snoopy person when they see one, but hey, he's not a real reporter. Suspicious activity. What do you think, Bob? Sounds like that movie, um, what was that movie? Yeah, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Right. Nightcrawler? Yeah, Nightcrawler kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's it, that would make for a good movie, I guess. I, I don't think that's what was going on with Chad. And honestly, when I look at his pawn shop transactions, it seems to me like he robs things in a couple different ways. There's a lot of items that are taken from cars, you know, like like the radar detectors and GPS and things like that. But to me, there's too many of them. And there's too many similar items. There's too many Samsung phones. There's too many radar detectors. I mean, who still had a radar detector in 2012? Not many people. So I think more than likely he's stealing or robbing from a store or something like that or from a warehouse. Because you you don't just pawn 15 different cell phones, the same cell phone right. over and over and over again, uh, unless something like that happens, unless you just happen to every single person you rob has the same exact cell phone. So I, I think that's more likely the case. And then there's some smaller, like the the tools and things like that. That he may be stealing from people, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he's picking apart crime scenes and coming up with these items. They're also too frequent, too close together. How often he's pawning them? I think more than likely, he's he's either robbed, you know, a, a truck or a warehouse or a store, or he's he's remember he's got the um, the charge for dealing in stolen goods. Actually, no, that was John, wasn't it? That had the steal, dealing in stolen goods charge. Yeah, but you know, there could be something like that as well, where he's. You know, he's buying stolen items cheap and then selling them at pawn shops, something like that. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Kimberly says, have you been able to find any more information about the flat screen TV that was missing from the bedroom? No, all we know is that the one that was in the bedroom was smaller than the one that was in the office. I know there's people out there that will argue otherwise that the one in the office was the one from the bedroom, but it's been stated from the beginning there was two different TVs. There was one in the office and one in the bedroom. And uh, Tammy Armstrong, for one, is someone who was in the house frequently, and she's the one that noticed right away the TV from the bedroom wasn't there. Sandy slipped when she said, uh, when she was explaining where she took her clothes off, Not, not slipped, but to me, she's leaking out information when she says, I took my shoes off by the TV in the bedroom because in her mind, the TV was still there. She that's, that's telling me she doesn't know, didn't realize the TV is gone. So we know one of the TVs, the TV we had the receipt for, the one that was purchased at Aaron's rental from a family member of Sandy's, that TV was in the office. The one that was in the bedroom was a smaller TV than that. Uh, and so I think the one in the bedroom was a 32-inch. It was something smaller, but that's all we know about it. Wendy says, So I was thinking last night about the possibility of John and Claudia having anything to do with this crime. I just can't wrap my head around the coincidence of Siniad and crew showing up on the same night that the garage door is left open. I just have a hard time believing that. If you're currently of the belief that this was done by the group of criminals, or you just want to dissect the possibilities, how do you think they got into the house? Was the garage door the point of entry? Or are we back to someone forcing their way in when Jim went for the dogs and the garage was only the exit route? I think either is still a possibility that we have no way of knowing for sure. If you're asking for my personal 
theory, I think that the simplest solution is probably the answer. I think they probably went in through the garage door. That could have happened a number of ways. Jim could have accidentally opened the garage door when he went to take the um, the leftovers in. He might have run something out to the trash, forgot to close it, closed it, and something was under it that caused it to pop back up. Who knows? There's a lot of ways for that garage door to get open. We don't know if somebody broke into the car and hit the clicker because that was never processed. And we don't know if someone used one of the devices because it was an older model garage door where they can just go through and press buttons and the, the rolling codes can cause the garage door to trigger up. There's a lot of ways, but I think most likely they went in through the garage door, but I don't think it's out of the possibility that uh, the assailants came in the back door and forced their way in when Jim went to the door. I think both of those are possible. And regarding it being a coincidence, if, and it's a big if, it was Sinead and crew who committed this crime, uh, which ultimately ended up in the murder, I don't think, I don't think it is a coincidence. So the, co- the coincidence would be we're going to burglarize the Melgar's house and their garage door happens to be open. I don't think it's a coincidence at all if it was something like, let's go find a place to burglarize, or let's drive through these streets and see if we can find those. And, and the MO of Cineat's crew is to hit people on these dead-end streets because there's no traffic, because the, the, there's a dead end at the end. They stop. So they may be cruising through there just looking for a house that does have some indicator that they can get in. And an open garage door would be a huge indicator that, or a trigger to say, yeah, that's the one we want to go to. So I guess what I'm saying is to me, that's not a coincidence. If they're looking for a house, any house on a street like that with the garage door open and the Melgar's garage door just happened to be open, then that's, that's, that's this exact reason why they would be running around looking for something like that. Uh, as opposed to if they were specifically targeting the Melgar's and their garage was open then, yeah, that's a coincidence. And we don't know. You know, there, there's that connection between Sinead and Claudia. Uh, it's possible, but there's no evidence that Claudia really knew much about the Melgars. John knows some, but, you know, I don't know how much he knows about the Melgars. And, and, and I'm not sure exactly how that plays out. You know, maybe if they were involved at all, that, you know, they, they knew they had money or somehow they knew they had a safe and John's pissed and he says, why don't you go rob these people? Then we run into a string of coincidences, but I, I honestly don't think that's the case. I think that the Melgars were probably targeted at random, probably based on the fact either that the garage door was open or the fact that the house wasn't lit up with Christmas lights, so it was one place where it was dark where they could get in and out. Uh, I think that's more likely the trigger for them to go in rather than the fact that they were targeted and then coincidentally the garage door was open. Ian says, when you start the West Memphis 3 case up again in alignment with the TV show, does that mean we're starting the case again on the podcast? Or will the podcast continue where it left off like we were promised? No, it's going to pick up where we left off, just as promised. Um, the the podcast or the TV show is a new investigation, which is what we normally do in this phase of uh, the season. Once we get there, we start looking at new suspect and start actively investigating the case. Uh, and so... We do that, just to give you kind of some insight, we do that on the TV show. That's the, we, have, we have Oxygen Network funding this investigation. It took me two and a half months. I mean, there was lots of investigation, but actually just filming for two and a half months. And that's all going to get condensed down to four one-hour episodes. So there, there's a lot that when those episodes come out that I want to, once they're released... I'm going to explain the rest of what happened. What didn't you see in the episode? 
uh, and then and then go through it to continue the investigation, see what new leads are generated from the TV show, and then depending if if the case is solved or where we're at with things, we'll even continue on if we need to after the TV show airs with the podcast to pick it back up. All right, and our last question is from Jacqueline. Do you know if the new West Memphis 3 show will be aired at the same time in Canada, or even if it will be aired here in Canada? Thanks. I, I'm sorry, I do not know the answer to that. I don't even know when it's going to be aired. That you know, We're in the process right now of still doing something. We, we, we got a tip today that we were investigating and all this. You know, Are, are we going to film this? Are we going to add to an episode? We're sending off cuts to the networks. They're giving notes. They're going back and forth. And so as of right now, I have no idea when it will air. I can tell you originally Oxygen said they were thinking about airing the show at the beginning of 2020, so by like January, February next year. But that's all very fluid. At that point, we were we ended up filming much earlier than we were planning, so it could be before that. I don't know when it will air. I don't know. I mean, if you have the Oxygen Network in Canada, then I would say, yeah, it'll, you'll have it probably the same time we do. Someone told me that in the UK... There's like an affiliate network that has, it's not Oxygen, but it has Oxygen shows on it. I don't know. And there's, of course, streaming services like Hulu and uh, things like that where you can get the episodes. But I, yeah, I really don't know. All right. That's going to do it for this week's follow-up. Yep. And so we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon and bright and early tomorrow morning, which is yesterday for you listening to this. Becky and I, Mike, unfortunately, is not going with us. Uh, but Becky and I will be getting on a plane, and we are heading down to New Orleans for CrimeCon 2019. So if you have arrived at CrimeCon, and it's Friday morning, and you decide to give Truth and Justice a listen before heading off to the day's activities, I will see you soon. We're going to be on Podcast Row today, and I want to thank uh, Liz Rose and Jen Reese and Candela, who helped run the FreeSandyMelgar.com page. Uh, but they sent over a whole bunch of stuff for us to be giving away at our booth at CrimeCon. So we've got all kinds of buttons, and we've got T-shirts, and we've got business cards. And, of course, we're taking flyers for the reward fund. And, of course, as always, we'll have some just Truth and Justice swag there to give away. So if you're going to be at CrimeCon, come by and see us. And I believe nothing's set in stone, um, mostly because I haven't really um, been too in the loop with everything because I've been so busy. But I believe Friday night... Uh, we're going to be doing some kind of a meetup. Usually every year I get together with um, Aaron and Justin from Generation Y and Nick and the Captain from True Crime Garage. And last year, Susan Simpson from Undisclosed was there. Uh, and just, in you know, a bunch of us all get together and do like a big combined meetup. So I think that's going to be happening on Friday night. Don't have all the details. If you're interested, follow along on social media. And with that, we're going to wrap this thing up so we can finish putting together Sunday's episode, which... I hesitate to use the word, but I want to say that Sunday's episode is a bombshell. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Thank you to Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. 
Thank you to our transcription team, Rachel Timberman, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Katherine Chrisman, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. And if you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at truthjusticepod, and my personal Twitter handle is at bobruftruth. And for more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at truthjusticepod. Don't forget, we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Stacy says, have you been in touch with Chad? No. All right. No, I don't have to that. that was for the video people. <laughs> it's like a dramatic fog thing and then, you know. Ad marker. <laughs> Ad marker. <laughs> you making fun of me? No. Summer coat guy? You making fun of me? 73. <laughs> That's what the lack of the cage does. This. Yeah. You're right, because I noticed that yesterday. Yep. It's huge. That's what the cage does. The cage suspends the microphone in these rubber things so that when you put something on the table, it doesn't sound like that. But anybody who's recording in their right mind isn't going to do That's that. That's what we got the mouse pads for. Same mountain, different ways up it. Mike Bussing, 2019. Here's an interesting thought from listener Lee Wu. His name's Lee Wu Wu? Lee Wu Lou. Lou. It's spelled differently.